Today on VoiceWorks Sound Business, we enter the voiceover booth. I'm Jim Salverson, and this is a podcast all about audio and the brilliant people who make it. And on today's show, I'm talking to two masters of the VO. Tanya Rich is one of the most established and experienced voiceovers in the UK who has 30 years of experience behind the mic and a load of experience behind the glass as well as a voiceover coach, helping others follow in her footsteps, working with globally renowned corporations like Disney and Domino's. And Ian Brennan, a former radio presenter producer who took the leap into the world of voiceovers and now works with clients around the world, bringing their projects to life from corporate videos to commercials for the likes of Asda and Booking.com. You will have no doubt heard both their voices before, but you might not know it. We're going to cover a whole load of ground on today's show. Topics from how to get into the industry to best practice when working with a voiceover to how to pick the right artist for your job. So whatever your interest or involvement, hopefully we'll have some insight that is useful for you. So let's get stuck in and discover some of those secrets from the voiceover booth. Tanya Rich, how are you and where are you? I am reasonably well, and I am in Bath in the southwest. Very nice. And Ian, welcome to Sound Business. Are you all right? And whereabouts in the world are you at the moment? I'm good, thank you. Yes, I'm uh, in the northeast in Sunderland on the northeast coast, just by the North Sea. And of course, it's cloudy and misty. Right. We're going to cover a whole load of topics on today's podcast when it comes to voiceovers, from how to get into the industry to how to best prepare for a voiceover. But I think probably the majority of people listening to this podcast are coming at it from the point of view where they might need to take on or identify a voiceover for a project. And certainly this is a situation that I've been in. So I want to start with looking at voiceovers from that side of things. And I'll start with you, Tanya, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. If I'm identifying a voiceover for a specific project, what should my considerations be when identifying the right voice? Because I've been in this situation a load of times where I know I want a voice for something and I've spoken to an agent and they've gone, have a listen to these demos. And Mm -hmm. they've sent me 10 demos. And I'm not really thinking about a great deal other than whether I like a voice or not. Is that pretty much the fundamentals of it? Or should I be looking at that a little bit deeper? Well, if all demos were genuine demos, then you'd probably be fine. But unfortunately, a lot of the demos out there aren't. And if you want me to uh, explain, elaborate on that a little bit. Yes, please. So when I started in the industry, you made a demo eventually out of genuine work that you did all around the country. When voiceover became a a thing that everybody thought that, you know, was a household word, so to speak and equipment and technology moved on, basically people decided they wanted to be voiceovers and they decided a lot of people didn't want to perhaps invest in coaching or perhaps didn't have the best advice. And so they can go, they can still do this today, in fact, go to a studio and there's plenty of them and say, I'd like to make a voiceover demo, please. And so they get a little bit of voice coaching for about an hour. Then they get the lines of a script fed to them. They copy them back. They make a demo and hopefully it's all put together beautifully. So they get that out there and that might get them an agent because there's a lot of Mm. agents now and there's a lot of people on those books uh, with reels uh, that, quite frankly, they probably can't replicate if they got the job based on that reel. The reason they can't replicate necessarily is because they don't know how they did it in the first place. If you don't know the technique and you just copied somebody, you might sound great, but you don't know why you sound great. So if you get a job and then you're being directed or self-directing, even probably harder, you can't think out of the box. You can only give that one read if you're lucky. And you actually may not 
really be even able to do the read that you've been booked for. So, you know, that's one of the things I would think about before you book somebody. For me, it would be looking at their back catalogue of work, genuine work, or looking at the reputation they have from perhaps who they've worked with in an industry and then getting them to custom demo on the fly because that will really sort out the wheat from the chaff. Because if they can't do that, then heaven help you in a, in a complete session. So I'm afraid demos aren't really very good way of often pu- pulling people into a studio session. You've hinted at some stuff there. We'll pick up a little bit later <laughs> how it's more than just reading off a page. And yes, it's not just talking uh, and reading. Are you suggesting it should be treated like you would any other gig or any other job? In fact, you look at a CV, you, you ask for a sample. You do more than just judge it from the audio you're hearing in that first instance. Absolutely, especially now. Nowadays, if you see how many people out there are saying they are voiceovers... Um, I think, yes, unless they've got a big web presence and I mean a proper web presence with, you know, proper quotations, proper clients and any decent voiceover should offer you a demo, a custom demo, even if it's only Mm. two lines. And, you know, also make sure that they're able to work in the sector you want, because Mm. if you hire somebody to do a 20 page corporate and they've never done a corporate before, but they send you a demo of two lines, they're going to go to pieces when they get that big corporate. And I know this because I get brought in to direct them through the corporate because they can't do it. (laughs) Well, let's talk about some of that process then as to how it is more than just reading words off a page. Ian, when you first get the script, what is your process from that point? Is it all Ian McKellen and you're looking for your inner purpose and you're drawing from past experience (laughs) to describe the new flavour of Ribena or whatever it is? Or do you have more of a functional process than that? Well, firstly, what Tanya said there is is really interesting because I'm very much, uh, uh, I think, old school in 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 this uh, in this case because all of my work on my demos is genuine work and always has been, and and I've I've you know gone through the process of building up clients and work to to improve my demos and think oh that's a good client to add to it, and I know that there's a lot of people do that, but I didn't realise quite how widespread that was. So it's um, really interesting what Tanya says there. But yeah, when you get a script. Usually, the ones that are professionally written, and here's the thing, sometimes you get scripts that land and they don't quite make a great deal of sense. And often they're written by somebody who maybe hasn't got experience, a lot of experience of writing scripts. Maybe it's a client who's written their own script and sometimes that happens. And you can you can spot the ones that are well written by people who know what they're doing, proper copywriters, from the ones that, that are written by people who are just doing it because they have to do it. Often the professionally written ones will have direction on them, so they will give you an indication of, of roughly how it's going to sound, an indication of what the music or atmos might be or, or what the feeling is or whether they want it conversational or whether they want it deadpan or serious or, or whatever it might be. So with that in mind and with the words that you've got in front of you, you, you get a feeling of, of the mood of, of what it is that this uh, this script's bringing to the party. And then, yeah, you sort of, I mean, for me, I mean, I can't speak for every other voice, but I you, you hear it in your head, you, you see it and you can hear it in your mind. You read through it a few times and then usually you've got it. And so that I mean, it depends. Some jobs you get the script relatively short notice. Sometimes you get the script during the session. Um, and, and other times, you know, you might have the script a day or two in advance. So you can read through it and practice it. And then when it actually does come to the session, certainly the bigger jobs, usually you get the script a decent amount, or at least a version of the script, a decent amount of the time before the session starts. And then it just makes for a more professional session that you've had that time in advance to, mm. to get an opinion in your mind of how it's going to be so that when you do come to do the take, you can have it done in 
a decent amount of time, you know, fairly quickly. My record for a, uh, it was a TV commercial I did. I was in and out in uh, two and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. So, you know, I mean, it, it really, I mean, you, you kind of feel like you've, <laughs> you've under-delivered in a way because they've not had the full hour out of you, but it's like, you've done the job and, well, you know, you can't really improve on that. And it's like, okay, we're done. Bye. <laughs> so, but you were lucky that they let you go because I've had c- companies when I've done that and they've said, oh no, we've booked you for an hour and you're yes. going to be here for the hour. <laughs> yeah, that can happen. I and mean, and to be fair, that was a client that I've worked with quite a bit. So we've, we've had an understanding and, and we know how it all works. But yeah, sometimes even those sessions where you think, oh, we, we, this is, we're going to have this nailed in 10 minutes here. They, they, sometimes they will find ways of getting that full hour out of you. <laughs> I'm tempted to ask what were the, uh, the rumination per second was on that particular gig, but I will I'll save you the embarrassment <laughs> of that question. <laughs> Instead, you mentioned the script there and how it can vary in terms of what you get from the agency or whoever it is that's conducting the voice session. What do you hmm. want? in a script, what is the ideal scenario for you? Do you want kind of reams of detail and background and direction or do you want an element of freedom that you can put your own style onto stuff? For me, I would say an element of freedom is good. The, the jobs that have done best for me in terms of like when I've entered stuff for awards and, and have won them are the ones where I've had freedom a bit. And you want some direction, you want to know roughly what it is they want, but where they say, look, you know, this is the general idea, you know, have have some fun with it, see what you come up with. Then it ultimately it's down to the producer what they use. So it comes down to the, the producer's skills in the end and, and their opinion. But it can be good to have a, a play about and, and some fun with it. Sometimes I find maybe on, on some sessions you get the script. And I've actually said, and I've, there are a few jobs where I've actually insisted on doing another take because you know, I know that I can do it better. I can hear it in my mind. I know what I'm trying to do. I just haven't hit it yet. But I know that I can give them a better read. And that ultimately has been the read that's been used. So there's that freedom as well. It's frustrating sometimes where the producer might say, no, no, we've got all we need. I know that there's a better one coming. (laughs) And so they've got to kind of trust you with it sometimes. I think trusting your voice, and I've said this before, that, you know, giving some trust to your voice because whoever the voiceover is, if, if they're a professional, they've done this a lot of times. They know how it works. Probably the voice has done more sessions than the producer has in many cases. Just trust the voice. The voice whoever that is, whether that's me, whether that's Tanya, whether that's anyone else, will have an idea of, of what's going to work and what a good performance is or how they can do it better. So you might not want to use it in the end, but at least hear them out because we do a lot of these jobs, not just in this country, but around the world. And sometimes, you know, just trusting your voice, just going with it mm. can deliver what it is that you weren't expecting. I've got to say I agree with that. I like to have, when I'm looking at it from a production point of view, I like to have options, being it different takes to pick from, or be it even playing with different words in a script. Yes, and of course, if you're with an experienced voice, they can do that. If you're with an inexperienced voice, unless they've been extremely well coached and they understand all the nuances and what can be thrown at them, you may be in trouble. They won't have that confidence to give you the freedom of different reads. They won't have the ears like Ian's just said. I, I sometimes do things. And I go, no, I'm just going to do that ending again because I didn't like the way I did that. Even though I know I could probably, when I say get away with it, the producer would have been happy. I wasn't happy and I'm a perfectionist and I want to represent myself in the best way. And so that's one of the issues when you're using less experienced voices because they're very literal. 
And also the other thing is then it comes down to the director. If you're working with a director, a director can say, well, I want you to sound like this. But what they're actually saying and what that means to the voice actor can be completely different things. You know, I had a, uh, I was directing, I was listening in on a session with a, actually with a, a, a graduate of my own coaching establishment. And the director said, I want you to sound more dramatic. But it was a corporate. Now, they didn't mean dramatic like Shakespeare. They meant more serious. But they didn't know how to say that okay. to the voice. And the voice didn't know what to do. So that's another issue. And finally, with scripts, you want scripts. If when, as Ian said, when a script is written by somebody who knows what they're doing as a voice actor, it is a joy to read. It is a joy. But unfortunately, just like the voiceover industry has become very accessible, so has being a copywriter. People still read copy in their heads and send me copy and tell me it's 30 seconds and I can already see it's 37. And they ask you to do a natural read when it's peppered full of ads speak. Mm. <laughs> so there's lots of lots of different issues going so on there. So what are the really. tips there? What is your advice to someone who's preparing that script in terms of making sure they're giving you the raw materials that you need to deliver the best product to them? Well, first of all, the writing has to reflect what they want. If they want an upbeat, happy read, then they must make sure that the words you know are happy and upbeat. Voice actors make their own punctuation, but it's nice to have some punctuation. You know, a lot of people are using ellipses because they don't know how to say to somebody, can you breathe there? And an inexperienced voice will think, oh, that means I've got three dots to just hang about when you haven't. Um, <laughs> there's so many things that, you know, it's all very well. If you, if you want a particular read from a voice, you've got to make it clear and then make sure that the copy matches what you're saying. And sometimes they don't know, especially with, with foreign clients, they'll say, we want you to sound thoughtful and, you know, very serious. And you do it and they go, oh, no, no that's not what we wanted at all. And so for me, when I get a new client like that, I always say, I'd like you to listen in, please. Not because I can't self-direct, but I've, I've been on that rodeo too many times mm. uh, and I want them listening in so they can hear exactly what I do so we can sign it off. They can pay me and I'm not having to do redos. You talk a lot about experience, Tanya, mm. but as a voiceover coach and a producer yourself, you mm. obviously work with people with a wide range of experience from the very beginnings to <clears> the people who just want to up their game. Can anyone be a good voiceover what are the fundamentals that you need at the very start other than a voice obviously well yes having a reasonably good voice is is, is always a nice bonus I think having a great pair of ears is a, an even bigger one being able to hear when things aren't right and being able to change and being able to understand subtlety and nuance because without those your voice is not going to work I think voices can be made I've coached people who started with, with no skill whatsoever, but because they had something, because they mm. put in the practice and the time and they listened. In my particular coaching, the way Richcraft teach is we make our students jump through a lot of hoops before they're allowed to make a show reel. With us, that is. they can If they want to go make a show with somebody else, that's up to them. But if they want to do stay the course with us, by the time they make that reel, they can do everything on it and beyond. They've taken direction from up to three directors at a time. They've gone through every scenario possible that we can put them through for the real world of voicing. And so, yeah. So can anyone be a voice? If you've got a really real problems with your diction and your speech maybe it's to do with just laziness if it's selective you know sometimes I get people that send me auditions because I, I don't work with people who don't audition for me and that's not because I'm so marvelous it's because I need to hear what they instinctively sure. do with a script and their voice they might send me something when they miss off the ing of every single word and when I pick that I mention this to them they'll say no I haven't 
<laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> have another listen. And things like that. Or if they've got selective sounds, like if they say th in some words and v in others, then I have to find a way of stopping them saying v unless they're playing a character voice where v is the norm for that particular character's accent. Ian, from the other side of it, from someone who's just starting out, if you can cast your mind back that far, is it better to have a thing? Is it better to have a shtick? Like, I don't know, like someone like Red Pepper, for example, who's the big <laughs> movie voice that everyone will be familiar with. Or as a voiceover, do you want to be as flexible and as versatile as possible? To be honest, I think a mixture of the two. You do need a point of difference because there are many voices around and I hear many voices who are what they call RP English which is um, you know sort of neutral British uh, there's a lot of British people who are, who are, who are voices and I, I wonder how some of them actually have, have, have made cut through because there's, there's just so many I think obviously there's a good amount of luck and, and networking and, and pestering probably is involved but more so I mean for me that's why I really started to labour the northern thing which is where I'm from but originally I was fairly neutral I suppose when it came to voiceover mm. stuff and I started actually doing more Yorkshire based stuff it is my natural tongue even though I'd I've moved around quite a lot, so my, I'm a bit of a mongrel as far as my, my accent's concerned now because I live in the northeast, used to live in Wales, and obviously spent a good amount of time in Yorkshire, which is where I'm from. But obviously, when it comes to going back to your native Yorkshire tones, uh, it's quite easy to just drop into it. So with that, I, I've had a, you know, I do quite a lot of, of Yorkshire stuff, but also fairly neutral northern. People don't necessarily mm. want a, a hard accent. Usually they want something a bit northern. And for a lot of agencies in London, you know, anything north of Nottingham is uh, is, is northern. So uh, as, long as, it's cock- yeah. as long as it doesn't sound cockney or like James Bond, then uh, usually they're fairly happy. So that's <laughs> that's kind of the, the point of difference for me. But in doing so as well, I, and I've likened this, you know, some other voices that I know have, have sort of asked about, you know, what they should be doing and, and, and things. And, you know, I've said, really, you've got to think of voiceover uh, as, you know, you're fishing in different ponds. So the more different styles you can do, whether that, I mean, for me, I do, as you know, I do, I do presenting, right, radio presenting. So that's like another pond that you can fish in into. I also do now some commentary stuff. So that's another pond you can fish into. But as far as voiceover is concerned, if you can do the corporate stuff and sound fairly serious and conversational, whatever, delivering a, an e-learning thing or a corporate video, as well as doing an explainer video or then a radio commercial or a TV ad or on hold work, whatever it might be, these are all different ponds of the industry that you can fish in. So you do need a bit of flexibility and a point of difference. So it's it's a bit of everything. Sometimes people want you to be just really neutral, fairly bland, unassuming, whatever but if, if you if they want you to do that more northern thing a bit more upbeat a bit more quirky or whatever then you need to be able to do that as well so the more you can do the more jobs you're likely to get if that makes sense i totally agree and i was just going to say one of the things you know obviously because i started in the olden days when we did everything to tape and we traveled all around the country and all that stuff we had to be super versatile so you would get a pile of scripts and you could be everything from the baby to the grandma to the hard mm. cell to the soft cell you didn't know what you were getting and it really made for a versatile to, you had to be versatile otherwise you didn't work yeah. and I do think versatility is key 
And I also think to have a USP. So I, and also with the RP, there are different types of RP. So this voice I'm speaking to you now is my voice. It's RP, but it's not heightened RP. It's not like, you know, hi, how are you? Uh, which mm-hmm. is not super Southern because I'm from the Midlands. Now, although I never had a broad black country accent or a Midlands accent as a child, because my mother was an actress and used to smack me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> I can drop into it at any time. And that's a USP for me because I can work in all shades of West Midlands from the broadest black country to the poshest Birmingham and everything in between. And the listeners will not say she's a Londoner pretending. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting when you get a London agency uh, contact you, like I had one only recently, and they said, yeah, um, you're from the Midlands, we we need your voice for a job. I said, oh, great, yeah. They sent me the scripts. I said, these are for Derby and Nottingham. Yes, that's the East Midlands. Yes, completely different accent and I can't do it. You need somebody from there. And they couldn't, they said, yeah, but you'll be all right. I said, no, I won't be all right because East Midlands people will not appreciate somebody from the West Midlands telling them to do something if you want to appeal to the local people. And the other thing I think is really important with the RP, and I don't know if what you think about this, Ian, is that if I am doing anything above Gloucester, our staff laugh past, and mm. I can do it naturally, even in an RP, and then I can go last past, you know, Bath. And yeah. sometimes I hear things. I was in a supermarket the other day. I heard some uh, voiceover doing something for a radio station in the supermarket, pretending to be very upper class like the Queen. And because I've got the ears of a bat... I'm afraid this lady only had to say one vowel sound wrong. And I thought, oh, you're a northerner pretending to be posh. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was right as well. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. It's sort of reverse for me. You know, my, I am, I'm very much a bath pass from, from where I'm from. But similarly, I do get jobs in the south, particularly the south coast area or Channel Islands sometimes. And, and they're pretty hot on bath. So say bath for me. Bath. You see, you said it so naturally, but some people from the north they really struggle with it, don't they? Yeah, you, like you say, you just drop into it, so it's probably yeah. the reverse to, to, to you. But yeah, I, I am I am conscious of it now. But yeah, um, but yeah, it, it, it is something that you keep an eye on and 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 dance dance. I do a, a, a dance station. I think actually at one point they had split imaging for for the north for dance, and and in the south it was dance. Yeah. I tell you what's always interesting for me, people from the north, well, sorry, but this is from a vowel sound point of view, is the one vowel sound that northern people always struggle with is a U because they think butcher, uh, sounds like common. And so you get people occasionally saying the butcher, you know, like Hyacinth Bouquet. Yes, yes. The butcher. (laughs) You go, no, it's butcher. (laughs) How does this regional accent thing marry with the idea of versatility then? Because it feels like the authenticity of a regional accent is important, that someone from the north, unless they're incredibly talented, can't necessarily deliver an accent from the south and vice versa. And I guess 15 years or so ago, it wasn't so much of a hot topic because you didn't hear that many regional accents. Then suddenly everything was an Irish or Scottish accent and now it's kind of a little bit more democratised. But how do you marry that? How do you marry the ability to be versatile and work on multiple different projects to having the, the regional accent that some clients might be looking for you just do it <laughs> i'm sorry you just, just practice just that's your job <laughs> just, you just, just, just voice it. training yeah and and turn down voices you can't genuinely do i cannot do a welsh accent i can't sound even vaguely welsh there's some fantastic welsh voice actors out there i'm not one of them go and find mm. one of them i'll recommend them to you if somebody says can you do a general northern accent that's east or, or west yorkshire i'd probably say yes if somebody said i want you to do a sheffield accent and it's for sheffield i might mm. go Nah, I'm not doing that. But let me find you someone who can. Yeah, similar. 
I, I get sometimes requests to do something for Manchester. In fact, I had one. It was for a TV commercial, so it was a decent job, and it was for a Manchester accent. And I said, I am not from Manchester. And it depends if you're after a northern accent that might go down all right in Manchester, or if you're after something that is actually proper Manchester like Liam Gallagher, then I am not that person. And so you should probably get someone else. Similarly, if someone from Manchester was doing an, a Leeds accent or, or something like that, I would probably be quite offended that they didn't ask at least somebody from, from the correct area <laughs> to do it. Not saying it should be me, but anyone, you know, yes, and I think you you, you, you've got. Yeah, yeah, I am saying that. Um, <laughs> well, that's it, because I did do a job and it was it was it was for a concert and it was for a band who were Northwest based and they, they wanted me to do the ad. And I said I couldn't do it because obviously I'm not from Manchester, but they did come back to me to do the ad for the Kaiser Chiefs, which obviously is much more my patch. So it, it did actually work out in the end, you know, explaining where I was actually mm. from and, and help them cast me correctly further down the line. So it did pay it back. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's a tool in your toolbox, isn't it? A local accent. People want accents. They want people who sound like they're genuinely from the area. And that can not necessarily be limited. I and mean, we think of voiceovers, people often think of commercials and stuff like that. But, you know, you're talking about on hold work mm-hmm. it could just be just answering someone's phone it doesn't not necessarily a big company either it could be just a, a corporate video that's for internal use just for staff who for a company in in that particular area wherever that is just to give it a bit of a regional sound so not every job is a big blockbuster commercial that's going to be heard by millions sometimes it might just be something that's going to be watched maybe tens of times and you're the voice of that so sometimes just playing an everyday person just speaking normally <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, I agree with everything you've just said Ian thank you <laughs> we like to talk about the future on this podcast quite a lot and the audio industry on the whole has been through some huge changes over the last two years kick-started by the pandemic I'm sure we've seen changes in the voiceover industry as well. You mentioned a few of them that more people probably think they can be voiceovers now. They have studio setups at home. They can kind of do things off their own back, etc., etc. But I guess the future beyond that is the work being done with AI voice at the moment and projects like the Lyrebird project, which synthesizes voice from a small sample of human voice and kind of can extrapolate it out and make different sentences from a base recording do you see that as a threat to your industry tanya or do you think there is always going to be a need for the human touch in the process i think there is because as long as humans are involved in making those things they are going to want human responses it's all very well having an ai voice that can sound practically perfect but the things i talked about earlier nuance subtlety realness doing this kind of natural read all those things i don't believe an ai voice can do The subtlety and nuance, I can't get past that because it's so important. Some of the things that voices do that clients don't even realise we do that makes things sound great are we do tiny, tiny pauses that are so subtle that only the brain really registers them very quickly, whereas people don't know we're doing them. And I don't think AI will ever be that sophisticated. And I've I've heard some pretty good stuff, but I can still spot it, Mm. however good it is. 
and at its very worst, as anyone's ever phoned a doctor, they just there's no pausing, there's no stopping, they're just rambling on. I'm sure that will change, but I don't feel threatened by it. No, uh, mind you, I don't feel threatened by very much. I'm a bit like that. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but um, no, I mean, if it happens, it happens, and I'm sure maybe somebody will say, you know, we're going to synthesise the whole of the West Midlands accents all over, and we want you to do every single one of them. We're going to pay you so much money, you can just retire. I might just say, go on then, <laughs> or I might say, go on then probably. (laughs) Before we wrap up today, there's going to be a few people listening to this podcast who are listening because they want to get into the voiceover industry. They're taking those first steps. They think they've got the perfect voice for whatever project's coming down the line. If you were going to give them one piece of advice each, what would it be? Starting with you, Ian, what would be your one top tip? I think the one top tip is to take your time over it. Don't expect instant results and listen to the experience of people who who are there doing it now and you know maybe get a good coach get good advice but i think a lot of people come into this expecting to have instant results expecting that they'll be on a tv ad before they know it and rolling in cash and uh, you know living living the dream on a on a desert island somewhere it's not like that at all for every glamorous job that there is there's probably a hundred less glamorous jobs but still fun to do, don't get me wrong, but it's not all rock and roll. I mean, it's a long slog. And I came I came into it from, from radio. I was a radio producer and a radio presenter, and so you would argue, really, that I came from an advantageous position of knowing voices such as Tanya, knowing producers that I've already worked with, and having a real insight, and already having a contacts book, and already knowing what's required. And it took me, um, and somebody said this, it would take this, and I didn't believe it at the time, but I believe it now. Somebody said it'll take you between three and five years to establish yourself as a professional voiceover. And that's three and five years throwing everything at it. And I would, I'll go by that. You know, that's the amount of time it will take for you to keep going every day, having, you know, effectively doors slammed in your face, not getting anywhere, doing really piddly little jobs sometimes and, and feeling at the point that you want to jack it in. But it is persistence. That's media as a whole. You've got to keep at it. You've got to keep digging in. And eventually you get there. It's not for somebody who wants to jack it in after two minutes and say it's not working. You need persistence. You need to stick with it. You need to meet people. You need to network. You need to listen and invest in decent equipment. I know that's that's more than one tip, but that is what's required, <laughs> I think, to get anywhere. It's that initial, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm going to buy a microphone off Amazon. I'm going to be a voiceover. Right, that is not mm. going to get you there. You need to take it seriously and it's going to take a while. Tanya, what would yours be? I'm gonna, as a voice coach, I'm going to bar you from recommending getting a voice coach because I think it's, fine. It feels like it's undue prominence. <laughs> so so what, what would your tip be? Uh, well, a lot of what Ian said I would have, have totally agree with. The one thing I would say is a lot of voice or people who want to go into voiceovers, they don't want to do the boring stuff like Ian and I often have to do. They want to be in animation. They want to be character voices. Mm-hmm. And they will tell you, I can do this character, I can do that character. And when I say, but somebody's already doing that voice. We don't need that voice anymore. We've got that. What can you do? So people often, they don't know what to bring to the table themselves. And sometimes they're listening to other things, perhaps with with the day-to-day stuff. There might be voices that are doing things that I personally don't like, like I, I'm a, a loather of the sing-song. Um, I don't like sing-songy delivery. And, um, and so they get bad influences. So I would just say, don't expect instant returns. If you don't practice and practice properly, you will not progress. You need to really train your ears. You need to be so precise so that you can, the slightest thing that doesn't sound right, they need to pick up on it. And, and it takes a lot of dedication. I mean, even in, you know, in my day, it was, I was on the road, well, 
God, for years, seven years. And I mean, that took all that time to build up connections and, you know, to make my first demo reel. Was, it took two years of real work to do, mm. you know, not a day. So I think, as Ian said, you've got to realise buying a mic off Amazon, shoving it in your computer and thinking you're a voice actor and it's just talking and reading is really you're already not going to work if you do that. And thinking that it's just be like the golden pot of money at the end of the rainbow. Ian, Tanya, thank you very much for your time on today's podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely to talk to both of you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure and I've, I've learnt lots as well and I feel somewhat reassured by Tanya. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel reassured by you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much to Tanya and Ian for their time on today's podcast. If you want to hear more from both of them and see what work they've done or hear what work they've done, You can find their website links in the podcast description, where you will also find ways that you can get in contact with myself and the VoiceWorks team if you want help with your audio strategy or your very own podcast. Get in touch. We'd love to have a brew. And finally, if you love audio, subscribe to this podcast because there's a load of brilliant interviews in the pipeline, giving you more insight into the world of audio. And that adds to our fantastic back catalogue of shows too. So if you are new to the podcast... Have a look at some of the topics we've discussed so far, and I'll see you next time.